Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Inna alhamda lillahi na'maduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu wa nasta'hdiuhu wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyiati a'malina faman yahdihillahu falamudillalah wa man yudlil falahadiyalah wa ashadu an la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika la wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh thumma amma ba'duh we are continuing to read this book Tajul Arus the bridegroom's crown and last week we introduced the idea of repentance and we're going to stay there. Ibn Ta'illah, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, he says, فَإِنْ أَرَدْتَ تَوْبَةَ فَيَنْبَغِ لَكَ أَنْ لَا تَخْلُوا مِنَ التَّفَكُّرِ طُولَ عُمْرِكَ He says, if you want repentance, if you want to be someone who returns to God, then it is not appropriate that any moment of your life is devoid of reflection. So here, Ibn Ta'illah is saying that the essential, I guess, disposition for someone who wants to repent to God is to be thoughtful and reflective, right? When someone says, as the former president said, repent, I never do anything wrong. They, they asked Donald Trump, you know, do you ever repent? He said, for what? This is when the life is. It is not appropriate. It is not suitable for any moment of your life to be devoid of reflection. Oh, this is really nice, mashallah. This is really nice. I'm really um, and if somebody feels as though they have nothing to repent for, I've never done anything wrong. I legitimately don't make any mistakes. Like, why would I repent to God? I don't do anything wrong. I don't make any mistakes. This is someone that is not reflecting deeply enough on their affair on their activity, on their actions, on their states, right? You know, Islam creates a lot of uh, polarities, conceptual polarities. So you have dhikr on the one side, remembrance, consciousness. On the opposite end of the spectrum, right, the, the opposite polarity is ghafla or heedlessness, people that live without giving thought to the more serious aspects of life. Like, alhamdulillah, all praises for God. I've been a Muslim for more than 20 years. I converted when I was like five, man. Don't, don't think about it too deeply. In fact, you know, my day was made today, man. I was in the store with my eldest daughter, she's 16. And uh, she said, uh, dad. And uh, the store clerk, he said, dad? Dad, this is your daughter? I said, yes. 
you don't look old enough for this to be your daughter. I said, no, mashallah, mashallah, right? But I've been practicing Islam for more than 20 years. And the hardest thing for me is this um, commitment to uh, being conscious, like, like just like conscious living, just committing to that. Because it can be exhausting at times. Like this awareness of the fact that sometimes you do the right thing and sometimes you do the wrong thing. Even this uh, awareness of your mortality, like just like, you know, the prophet, peace be upon him, he said, when you're really enjoying yourself, when you're really having a good time, like mix in some remembrance of the destroyer of pleasures. And the Sahaba, the companions, they said, what's the destroyer of pleasures? He said, death, right? The end of every human being. I'm not saying that anyone should like intentionally ruin people's fun. In fact, you know, there was a time when me and another brother, we wanted to do a, a session called the fiqh, right? Or like the, the do's and don'ts of chilling. Like when you're just chilling with someone or you've been invited to someone's house for a party, don't go and make things like unnecessarily heavy. Like everybody's watching the Super Bowl and is it going to be the Eagles? Is it going to be the Chiefs? And you're just like, football. One day we're all going to die. Like, don't, like, you don't have, you don't. But the reality is one day we all are, we, we are all going to die, right? And just being conscious of that is difficult. Like living with that reality, living with the reality that your deeds are being recorded by God. The good that you do is being recorded. The mistakes you make, this is all being recorded. And there will be a time of reckoning, right? We don't believe, and this is the Quranic language, the language of the Quran, we don't believe that human beings have been created abathan, like for no reason, just arbitrarily, just, you know, one, uh, they were interviewing one material scientist. And he said, I believe all of creation is just an elegant dance to nowhere. How depressing is that? That we are essentially just atoms crashing into each other. And I see nothing else in terms of the meaning of life. This is not what we see. We see a creation of balance. We see a creation of purpose. We look at our lives as women and men, and we see preparation for standing in front of God. This is why we are living. God says, the only reason you have been created is so that he would test to see which of you are best in your deeds. Right? We live with this consciousness. We walk with that. We talk with that. We rise with that. We sleep with that. And it can get exhausting. But if you are living with that, you're walking with that, you're talking with that, this is where your repentance to God comes from. 
because you recognize sometimes I swerve from my purpose, right? Sometimes I lose my way. You know, my children know I'm like the last person. I don't like to use GPS. If I cut the GPS on in the car, this is like an admission of defeat. It's like, you're right. And when they're asking me, dad, are you lost? No, no, I'm not lost. Now I'm just driving, hoping that I see some landmark I recognize. He's <laughs> like, are you lost, dad? I'm not lost. And then I see that building. I'm like, I told you I'm not lost. Then I turn around, start going the other way, right? But the key to this analogy is that when you lose your way, you have to get back on the course. This is all repentance is, right? I said something. I lost my way. That's not where I'm supposed to be going. I did something. I lost my way. That's not where I'm supposed to be going. And then you get back on the course. You know, Ibn Ta'ilah, in another place, he said, the one that has lost her way, it makes no difference how far she travels or how fast she travels. She will never reach the destination, right? If you've lost your way, right? So Toba is just reorienting, right? You lose your way, you put yourself back on the path. This is repentance. Now, you won't know if you've lost your way unless you are consciously thinking about where you're going. Right. This is why he continues. <clears throat> so when you retire at night, think about how the day went. Right. Spend some time. This is some this is a practice that I recommend for everyone, whether you are an adherent to the Muslim tradition or a different tradition. This is called muraqaba that before you go to bed at night, you spend some time thinking about your day and you think about what went well, right? You think about what went, you know, what about today went well? And then you think about those things that didn't go as well. You think about them. Hmm. You think about some of the things you said that were good things. You praised God. You remembered God. You brought joy to people. You know, the prophet, peace be upon him, he said, one of the easiest acts of disobedience, of easiest acts of obedience that any of us can do, bringing joy to the heart of your brother, bringing joy to the heart of your sister. Makes you think about humor differently, right? That in humor, there is an act of devotion. That somebody would, you know, intentionally bring joy to someone else's heart. If you did that and you find that in your day, praise God for that. But when you find other than that, you ask God for forgiveness. You know, there was one man who the prophet was sitting in his mosque, peace be upon him. And he said... The next person that comes through the door of this mosque is somebody going to heaven. And everybody was waiting with bated breath to see who was going to come in. Now, if it had been 
some member of the community that was conspicuously known for being righteous, it wouldn't have surprised anyone. Oh, it's Abu Bakr. That was one of his companions, known for being a very you know, religious person. Oh, it's Omar. Oh, it's, you know, Uthman. Oh, it's, it was somebody that nobody even knew. A man named uh, Abdullah ibn Omar, the son of Omar ibn al-Khattab, he went to this man's house, knocked on the door, made up an entire story. Me and my father, we're really clashing right now, man. You know, and this was a small, close-knit community. People knew each other. Do you think I could just stay with you for a few days just to let, you know, uh, you know things simmer down? A little bit. The man said, sure. Abdullah really just wanted to watch this man. So he's watching him. He wants to know, what is it that he does that earned him this assurance that he's a person of heaven? And so he doesn't see the man praying any more than other people pray. The man is not fasting. The man is not stay, staying awake at night, glorifying God through litanies and formulas of remembrance. And at the end of the third day, he just tells them, you know, there's really nothing going on between my father and I. The man said, why did you make up this story? He said, I just wanted to get close to you so I could see, what do you do? Because the prophet told us that you were a person destined for heaven. And the man in his great humility, he said, no, no. There must be some mistake because I don't do anything special. I always think if somebody told one of us, the prophet said you were going to heaven. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, he's probably talking about that charity that I've been given. Yeah, no, you know, I mean, I've, I've put a lot of time into working on my character, so it's just good to know it's going to pay off. <laughs> right? The man said, no, there must be some mistake and I'm, I'm just a member of the community. I'm just a regular guy. And they both thought about it. He said, no, the prophet said this. And الهوى, he doesn't just, you know, he doesn't just speak haphazardly. If he said it, he meant it. The man said, oh, there is this one thing. Before I go to bed at night, I ask God to remove any animosity that I might have in my heart toward anyone. That's all he did. He just went to bed at night with a clean heart. Before he retired, I don't want to, I don't, anyone that has wronged me, I let it go, right? The person that cut me off in traffic, I'm not thinking about that, right? The person that took my parking spot, you, are you picking up a theme here? Everything happens in my car, right? Uh, I'm not thinking about that. Differences between me and my friend, I'm not thinking about that. It was just that. But what this contributes to um, in terms of our discussion, using those precious moments before you go to bed, right? One more day completed. Think about what happened. You know, one of our teachers, he used to tell us, we take a scientific approach to everything except our worship of God. He said, do this for 40 days and then Come back to me and tell me what you found. He said, carry a small notebook with you. And when you do something wrong that you recognize, 
right? You let your eyes go somewhere they shouldn't have gone. Or you say something you shouldn't have said. Or you do something you shouldn't have done. Write it down, right? Write it down. Write down the time and write down some of the in, like, you know, the uh, situate, like the circumstances, like what, what was going on at the time. And he said, you will inevitably begin to see certain correlations. Like you will notice that you tend to talk about people behind their backs while you're eating. You'll, you'll start seeing that. Oh, I see. I'm usually pretty careful with regard to my speech. But as soon as that biryani is served, I just get, <laughs> as soon as I'm, I'm at doghouse eating burgers, it just comes out. You know, so-and-so. Oh, yeah, I heard. Yeah, he's on drugs. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm just praying for his, for his wife and the children, man. May Allah help them. Pills. Mm -hmm. you'll, start no you'll, you'll start noticing that these things have patterns. You'll notice that when you fall into something like a ghadab, like anger, like rage, you'll notice it's usually what? When I'm in the car. And you'll notice it's when I'm coming home from work, right? I've just had a long day. I'm frustrated. Somebody does something in traffic. I blow. You must learn how to drive. You Just pull over, pull your notebook out. Road rage, abusive language. 545 on my way home. And then he said, this will increase your vigilance during those times. You'll notice, okay, I'm eating. The conversation is good. I'm enjoying the company of someone I like. Watch my tongue. Because this tends to be a time when I start talking about people behind their backs. You'll see things like that, right? So here he says, Think about what you've done during the day. If you find obedience, right? This, this, you know, end of the day and you say, okay, I, I made all four of my prayers today. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Prayers are five, <laughs> right? But you find, you know, I was able to make my prayers on time. Um, I was able to, you know, watch my tongue. I don't think that I, you know, said anything offensive to anyone. I didn't talk about anyone who wasn't present. Um, I didn't waste my time. You know, you, you know, when I, this is called muraqaba. You know, when I experience a certain kind of muraqaba every Sunday, when my, I have an iPhone, it tells me my daily average, how much time I spend on the phone. It's like, I'm waiting for that every week. And it's like, you're, you're up 28% from last week. It's seven hours. It's <laughs> not seven hours, but you're just like, how can I waste so much of my seven hours doing what? Right? And then I think about how I want to spend my time more wisely, you know, in the approaching, you know, week. He said, but if you find obedience, don't become arrogant. Just thank God, right? Just thank God. One of the greatest trials 
of growing in your devotion is guarding yourself against becoming arrogant. Don't look down on anyone else who maybe hasn't been experiencing the same openings you've been experiencing in your relationship with God. Just thank God. And don't attribute this new religiosity or don't attribute the obedience that you find to yourself. Just give it to God. You know, the prophet, peace be upon him, he said in an authentic tradition, um, you know, talking about people that uh, are not shown mercy. And one of the people he mentioned, whoever drags their lower garment out of arrogance. Now, this is something, we need some context here. The prophet, peace be upon him, lived in a world in which textiles and textile manufacturing was very scarce. And one of the ways that you could really like stunt, you could really flex, you could really show your wealth was to make your lower garment, whether it was like a wrapper or trousers, very long. Showing, right, this was, it's almost like when you see um, a woman in a, a wedding gown and the gown has the train, right? It is the length of the train of the gown that indicates the exquisiteness of the couturier, how, how he worked on the gown. So people would do that. They would, they would let their, their lower garments drag as an indication, number one, I can afford the fabric. Number two, I'm not concerned if this gets worn out. Doesn't, doesn't buy, I can buy some more. It's no problem. So the prophet, peace be upon him, he told people, raise your lower garment. Because this, um, this conceited practice of like dragging the garment, God does not like this. But he conditioned it with, if you do it out of arrogance, if you do it to be showy, right? So one of our teachers, he said, you find in every city, young, fiery Muslim men. And he said, Wahid minhum He shortens his pants, right? In compliance with this prophetic tradition. And he lengthens his beard. But in his heart, he has the arrogance of Pharaoh, right? Saying, what's the use of all of this? walking around with the short pants, walking around with the short robe, lengthening the beard, but everyone you see, you deem yourself better than them. Look at me and look at him, right? The great Imam Ghazali, he said, one of the signs that you are growing spiritually is that you don't see anybody that you deem yourself superior to, right? That is not the lens through which you see people, right? Ah, my rank is superior to his. Ah, but her rank is superior to mine. My rank is superior to... That's not the lens through which you see people. Imam Ghazali said, even if you see someone behaving very badly, maybe this is someone that isn't even committed to God in the way that you are. 
He said, you know what you should say to yourself? This person disobeys God. This person disobeys God and they don't know any better. I know better and I disobey God. Even that person is better than me. Right? So if you find good, things are going well, know that this is a sign of God's favor upon you. This is not anything that you are willing into existence yourself. Right? Look at me. Look at how righteous I am. Right? It's like the, the Jack Horner Islam. What a good boy I am. You guys are too young for that. They don't even know that. Jack Horner dipped his thumb in the pie and what a good boy I am. I'm old, man. Little Jack Horner, you know, what a what a good boy am I? Right? We that's, that's if you find good, right? You look at your day. Things went pretty well. You know, for me it's like made my prayers. I read some scripture. I helped somebody. I didn't anger my wife. Good day. No, no, I am not exaggerating. Good day. You know what I'm saying? Pretty, pretty good day. If you find that your day is good, just thank God. I think I, I, we were able to complete one and it was a good day. I thank God for that. He said, وَإِنْ وَجَدْتَ مَعْصِيَةً فَوَبِّخْ نَفْسَكَ عَلَى ذَلِكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرِ اللَّهَ وَتُبْ إِلَيْهِ But if you find other than good, he uses a word in Arabic I really like. I love the word tobih, right? Tobih. Tobih is to rebuke. Right, what is to rebuke. He said, what rebuke yourself, right? Criticize yourself. The prophet, peace be upon him, he said, blessed is he or she that is so preoccupied with their own faults that they can scarcely see anyone else's. This is a for you to be now again. Everything in moderation, though. We're not saying be so harsh, so critical with yourself that you lose your esteem, that you effectively demoralize yourself. But what this tradition is saying is that if you're going to think about anyone's mistakes, you should be thinking about your own. You shouldn't be thinking about everyone else's mistakes. You know, one of our teachers, he would say to us, it is a sure sign of misguidance that you read or encounter anything of religious instruction and think about somebody else. So if you read something about patience and think, I wonder if she knows this one. Let me put this in. Let me, let me send this to her, man. Or you read something about generosity and, yeah, I wonder if his stingy butt has ever read her. I wonder if, you know, go over his house, only served us appetizers. Whoever believes in Allah in the last day should honor his guest. Yeah, let me send this to the brother. He said, That's enough. Like that is a sure sign of misguidance, right? You read a hadith in which the prophet said, 
the sign of the hypocrite or the signs of a hypocritical person are three. If they speak, they lie. If they make a promise, they break their promise. If they're entrusted with something, they betray their trust. Right? I remember real talk. And I, I, I don't blame her, but every time I think about thinking of yourself first, I was in a class in New Jersey. I'm not in Atlantic City, New Jersey. I'll, I'll even put the city out there, but I won't tell you the message. We were teaching this hadith and a sister raised her hand and said, what if your husband has all three? <laughs> what if your husband has all three? When he speaks, he lies. When he promises, he breaks his promise. When you entrust him with something, he betrays you. And we said, if anyone has all three, we would urge them to repent to God. But one of the lessons of this tradition is that you not think about anyone before you think about yourself. Right? That I'm not thinking about this brother, that brother, even members of my family. Hmm, I wonder if they've ever heard this before. No, wait, where am I? You know, in Martin Luther King Jr.'s letters from a Birmingham jail, the thing that really, really impressed me really blew me away was he said as we engage the struggle against oppression we first have to ask have we exterminated oppression in ourselves right as we're out there fighting the external enemy i have to ask myself have i repudiated oppression see this is somebody that is spiritually aware you know as i'm opening my mouth talking about you know I mean, I myself have caught myself in some crazy contradictions. You know, I'll go out there and talk about economic justice, talk about, you know, fairness for workers and laborers, and then the next day go and argue with my auto mechanic and try to get them down to the lowest price that I can. Now, thinking about that, fairness for labor, we respect labor. 400, man, can I get it for 215? Come on, man, what, what we doing here, man? He said, didn't you post something yesterday about respecting blue-collar work? I did, did I? I guess I was thinking about other people. I mean, this is, no, this, I mean, no, no, this, this is really our reality. You say something about respecting labor, I give you my price, and you try to get me to cut it by 45%? Now, think about, think about yourself. Think about those places that, you know, you are not consistent in terms of your word and your deed. As we take yourself to task, right? You know, one of the, um, I think, great, great challenges of our community is nobody is willing to be hard on themselves, but everybody is willing to be hard on everyone else, right? Everybody is willing to be hard on everyone else, right? If one of us is in front of a microphone, we can tell you everything that's wrong with the world except me. There's nothing wrong with me. It's everybody else. It's them. It's rich people. It's men. It's women. It's white people. 
it's middle class black. It's, it's something that's wrong with everybody except me. Somebody says, is anything wrong with you? Oh, no, no, I'm okay. It's just the fact that I'm, you know, it's all of these people. It's wrong. Everything, everything's wrong with them. No, that's not. Take yourself to task, right? Then he said, He said, and then repent to God. Seek God's forgiveness and repent. You know, in Islam, repentance is very, very easy. You don't have to speak Arabic. You don't have to confess your sins to any person. All you have to do is turn to God, ask for forgiveness in any language and in any idiom with which you feel comfortable. But that asking for forgiveness must be um, uh, observant of four conditions, right? If you were thinking to take notes in this class, this would be a good place to take notes if you haven't heard this before. Right, repentance has four essential conditions. The first condition is nedim or remorse, right? That you do feel in your heart that you've done something wrong, right? You can't feel like sorry, not sorry. It's not repentance. You have to feel that you've done something wrong. You have to actually feel no, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Right? I shouldn't have uh, uh, neglected this. Right? You have to actually feel something. I think this is perhaps the most interesting condition that, you know, this is why the prophet said, "In lam if If you don't have any shame, do whatever you want. Right? If you don't have any shame, do whatever you want. Because the absence of shame is actually worse than anything that you could do. Right? You know, I, I, I'm sure I've mentioned this before. But one of my friends used to work at a, a corner store. In this place, and I mean, I, I think they were good brothers. My friend just worked there. But there were some Muslims that owned the store. And... I commend them. They did not sell alcohol. That's good. But they sold a lot of other stuff. Right? One of the things they sold was something that was known in the neighborhood as a kit. K-I-T. A kit. And I, Because this was something I was completely unfamiliar with. People would come in and say, let me have a kit kit for two dollars you could get a lighter you could get a piece of sos pad a piece of an so you know like an sos pad you wash your dishes with you can get a piece of an sos pad and you could get a glass tube inside of which there was a small plastic flower right for two dollars and so the flower they would take it out. They would take the SOS pad, put it in the bottom of the tube, 
put crack cocaine in the pipe and light the SOS pad. And this is how they would do drugs. And all of this together was called a kit. And one of the things that really shocked me, and these were Muslims that sold these, this paraphernalia, right? Sold these kits. One of the things that shocked me was that when people were in the earlier stages of their addiction, they would order the kit very quietly. Or they would, they would come into the store, they would mull about the store, and they would wait for the line at the front to completely die down. And then they would come to the front really quickly and say, yeah, let, let me get a kit, right? And put it in, in, the, in the bag. So they would put it in the bag real quick, give it to him, he'd give the $2 and he'd run out, right? This person still has some shame. You see, he's in the early part of, he's in the earlier stages of his addiction. He doesn't want everyone to know that he has, he's in the process of succumbing to this cocaine addiction. So he still has some shame. I can't, I can't, can't. Some people say, I can't. Right? Right? Sometimes my friend was brutal. So you want a kid? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, right? I can't, I can't. But some people, no shame. The, the store could be full. And they would say with their voices raised, let me get a kit. It's well known that I'm addicted to drugs. I don't have any shame about this. Yeah, a kit, man. It could be holding a conversation. And I could always know, and I would ask, how long has this person been strung out? How long has this person been strung out? Man, he really is just getting into his addiction. A couple weeks, a few weeks, a couple months. This person's been using drugs for years. Shame has disappeared. You see, shame has disappeared. This is why the prophet said, in lem testahi, if you have no shame, oh, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. Nedim is just about having some shame. Have some shame, man. You know, um, if you want to know something that deadens your heart, mujahara bidhamb, publicizing your sins deadens your heart. If you grow insensitive to your sins, your heart dies. You see, when you go out and you broadcast to people, yeah, man, we was at the club, we had bottles and everything, then there's no way that you feel any shame about that. You're telling people about it. You're telling people, this is what we did. The after work, when we went back to the Army Hotel, it was lit. Da -da. You're telling people what you did. You don't feel any shame about that, right? When you do wrong and God gives you his sitter, he covers you, know that this is mercy. And God only covers people so that they can have the privacy necessary to work on their relationship with him. He's not exposing you. This is the mercy, right? And all of us enjoy that covering. You know, Sayyidina Abu Bakr, when people would praise him, now we're talking Abu Bakr, the one concerning whom the prophet, peace be upon him, he said, if all of the faith of everybody was placed on one side of the scale, the faith of Abu Bakr was placed on the other side, his faith would outweigh everyone's faith. 
People would come to Abu Bakr and they would praise him. You're amazing. You're this, you're that. And he would say, I know myself better than you know me. And God knows me better than I know myself. I thank God for your good opinion of me. And may God make me better than you think I am. Right? May God make you me better than you. But he was saying what? A lot of the reason you hold me in esteem is because God covers me. You can't see my weaknesses. That's a mercy. God is covering me. You can't, you can't, you don't, you don't, you don't see everything. If God has given you that cover, sit, allow yourself to be brokenhearted and repair your relationship with him. Don't remove the cover. Don't just, now, if you're telling somebody because you want help or companionship, you need some solace, that's different. We understand that. We're human beings. It's like, I got to tell somebody this. That's different. I, I would hope that's a different category. We're talking about glorify, like glorifying your sins. This is the best thing ever. I loved when I did this, right? This was the best time of my life. Stop for a lot, right? No, this isn't. You should have some, some shame. No, it wasn't. That wasn't, that wasn't the best of who I am. I did do that. And that wasn't the best of who I am. All right? That wasn't the best of who I am. All right? And I think that, I don't know, sometimes my suspicion is that, you know, we all want to keep it too real. Like, you don't have to tell everybody your sins. We know, we actually know that you're a human being. <laughs> you know, I think some people's like, you know, I just want to tell you, man, you know, a couple, couple nights ago, I was drunk, you know. Um, I just want you to know I'm human. You know, before you told me you were drunk, I knew you were human. Yeah, I knew. You know, I didn't, you thought maybe I thought you were an angel or something. I, no, I, I knew you were a human being. You don't have to tell me that, right? I, I know that all of us are just striving to do our best, right? We're all, in the Quran, it says, and human beings, women and men, they've been created weak. We all have weaknesses, we all have flaws. Right, that covering is the privacy inside of which okay, I can I can I can work on this, but it allows me to feel bad about what I've done. That's the first condition. However, that feeling bad should not become despair of God's mercy. You cannot do anything that God cannot forgive, and you should be certain that God will forgive you if you sincerely repent. So we're not saying despair, like, oh, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm unforgivable. No, no, no one is unforgivable. We're just saying, mm, yeah, I did that and I, I feel it, right? I feel it. And with Allahi Matal al-A'la, right, unto God belongs the highest example. Any analogy we use can never really approach God, but we use analogies for the purpose of instruction and illustration. Think about you. If somebody wrongs you, right? Somebody did something wrong to you, verbally assaulted you, physically assaulted you, um, dishonored you, slandered you, right? Engaged in libel, wrote bad things about you. And they want to repair the relationship with you. They want to repair the harm but they appear gleeful about what they did. Would you accept that? Hey, bro, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, but we were playing basketball. I punched you in your face, man. 
But I'm just, I mean, you kind of had it covered, man. I mean, no, nah, I mean, I'm, I'm only laughing because after I hit you the way you fell down, it just, it was just too fun. No, I'm sorry. I'm not, I really, I'm sorry though, really. I'm not, no. <laughs> Would you accept my apology? Would you really think that I feel sorry about what I did? Right? right. A man comes to his wife, I'm really sorry about that. That, that very cruel statement I made yesterday, but you got to admit it was funny. It was funny. I mean, I, I know how you feel about that, but, oh, I, you know, you know, a person laughs and they hit you with the, oh, oh my God. Oh my God. No, 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 real talk. I am sorry though. I am, I am. <laughs> would you, would you accept that? Would you accept that? No, you wouldn't accept that. Why do we think God will accept that? I'm sorry, but I'm really not. I stuck. I shouldn't have did that, but man, you know what I mean? Come on, man. I mean, it, it, I, I had to do it. I had to say it. No, you should have some remorse and you should be serious. And he'll come to that point. The second condition is that you have to stop doing whatever, whatever it is you're doing, Right? Toba literally means to reorient, to turn around. You can't persist in sin and repent, right? Those two are mutually exclusive. You can't keep doing it. So that young man that's looking at that website that he shouldn't be looking at, but he's saying, stuck for the love, stuck for the love, but he's still looking. Stuck for, stuck for the love. This is just, this is so bad. No, no, you, have, you actually have to close that website. Then you've repented. So you can't say, stuck, Phil. Oh, this is so bad. Stuck. SubhanAllah. No, you can't, you know, you can't, you, no, you can't, you, no, you know what I'm saying? You, you, you actually have to close that website, you see, right? The person cracking the seal on that alcoholic beverage, right? It's stuck, Phil. Stuck, Phil but they're continuing to crack that seal. Uh, they have, they've yet to actually repent, but they, they do have shame. And that's a good thing. I, I remember Sheikh Hamza Yusuf telling the story many years ago about this woman that was working as a flight attendant. I forget for which airline, but he was on the plane, I believe with a West African Sheikh. And he could tell from her, uh, scarification, the, the tribal markings, that she was from a Muslim tribe. And he could see also that she appeared to be like just, you know, dealing with some consternation. So he greeted her and uh, just asked her about her life, her circumstance. And she explained that, you know, her father was ill. Her brothers were, you know, living la vida loca something like that and she had to work to support her family and this was the highest paying best job she could find being a flight attendant for some airline she said the only thing i dislike about this job is i have to serve alcohol as a part of my job you know i have to serve people alcohol as a part of my job she said but whenever i serve any of the soft drinks you know soda juice i serve it with my right hand but when I serve the alcohol, I serve it with my left hand. Just to remind myself, this is wrong. This is wrong. And he said, 
my daughter, these are the, this, these are the beginnings of repentance. May God enable you to come into repentance fully. What an uplifting message. So if somebody is saying at least a stuck for the law or, you know, uh, they're putting it in their left hand when they drink alcohol. I've heard of stuff like this, right? You know, or somebody that may look, I mean, I drink, but whenever I drink, bro, I only drink, I only drink with my left hand. That in and of itself is not repentance, right? No, he's like, yo, he's like, he, no, I've heard these things before. I drink, but just only with the left though, bro. You know, if you give me a glass of water right now, I drink it with my right hand, right? But this wine, I drink it with the left, you know, because I, I know it's not right. That is the beginning of repentance, but it is not a full repentance until he stops drinking, right? That, that moment where he decides, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. You know, one of the, the beautiful stories we learn about the companions of the Prophet, is that one of them was drinking some wine. And you have to really understand, they loved wine. Like they loved wine more than French people love wine. Like they, the Arabs loved wine, all of their poetry. I mean, wine drinking was such a deeply entrenched aspect of their culture. Like this is like a lot of their pastimes were around drinking poetry, you know, Nejawat, like uh, night gatherings. They loved drinking wine. And they said that, after being with the prophet, peace be upon him, for 10 years in Mecca, their faith had become so strong that one of them was actually drinking when he heard someone say, the prophet just received revelation that wine drinking is not allowed anymore. They said he didn't even finish the swallow that was in his mouth, that he spit it out instantly and then broke the glass and then broke the cask. Right on the spot, I'm thinking, man. Even those of us with strong faith, we might say, okay, look, just, just, just hey, look, this is the last one, baby. It said, no, 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 it's it, it's it, it's it, it's it. I, I, I heard the revelation. It's my last blunt. Wallahi. After this is iltizam bil Quran. After this is iltizam. We gonna finish. We gonna make it a good one too. You know what I mean? Put another O in there. You know we. That's what we would do. They say he didn't even finish the swallow that was in his mouth. Right? This is this is Toba. Right? Drinking is not permissible. See, I'm I'm done. Just like that, I'm done. Right? Right? And wine was wealth. They say he smashed the bottle, took the bottles outside of his home and just smashed them. He said, I'm done. This is Toba. One has to cease and desist. That's it. Right. And I'll tell you, when you do it, it's liberating. You know, it's liberating. You know, sin weighs you down. Right. So when that young man, and I mentioned this last week, who's living with that woman or that woman who's living with that man, when he wakes up and just says, you know what, I can't do this. We're either going to get married or, or that's it. It's like a weight has been lifted off of his shoulders. I feel so much better, man. I feel so much better. You know, guilt, man, 
We are people now, we flee from guilt. But they say guilt is to the, to the soul as pain is to the body. You know, if you're walking or lifting weights, working out, you feel some pain in the body, it alerts you to what? Something is not wrong. Something is not right with my knee. The pain is alerting me to the fact that guilt alerts you to the fact that something is not right in the soul. Right? The prophet said, The sin is that which wavers in your soul. And yet, and that thing that you wouldn't want people to know about, that's what you need to repent from. That thing that if somebody broadcasts this about you, you wouldn't exactly be proud of. That's the sin, right? So if somebody came in the room, if my accountant came in and said, Bay, you still want me to cheat on your taxes? Then I probably know I shouldn't be doing it. Right? Omari, not in front of polite company. Right? You shouldn't be doing it. Right? When you are relieved of sin, it feels better, but you have to stop. The third condition of Toba is promising never to return to the sin, that your intention is to obey God forever, not temporarily. You can't say, you know, I'm done with this, but I'm not even going to lie. When my birthday comes around, all bets off, right? I'll, I'll stop for now, but I mean, I just, I mean, I've, I, I mean, this is how I know I've been around a long time. I've heard people make Toba with conditions. I've heard people say like, bro, I'm gonna put this down, but if I go out tomorrow and I see a beautiful woman, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Okay, that's not Toba, man. That's not that like like, like that's that's not a Toba. Right? Now, it doesn't mean that you have to fulfill your oath. This is what's beautiful about forgiveness. Maybe you'll falter and you'll keep faltering. Maybe you'll 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 make the same mistake over and over, but that wasn't my intention. You know, Sayyidina Ali, he said something. He said, the one who strives to be good but fails is better than the one who strives to be bad and succeeds. Did you get that? The one who strives to be good but fails. Like, I tried to do the right thing. I just kept failing. Right, my weaknesses, my vulnerabilities, my flaws, they just kept overcoming me. But I was trying to do the right thing. Is better than the one who was trying to be bad, right? But fails. I mean, I confuse myself, but succeeds. So if you, you know, and this is what's beautiful about God and our and and, and our belief about forgiveness. You know, God knows everything. And maybe one of us is committed to some act of wrongdoing and it's quite habitual. You know, bad habits can be very hard to break. You know, um, 
I don't know why, man, we focused a lot on addiction, but, you know, I had a family member, a very close family member that was, you know, addicted to, to, to heroin. And one thing that he would say to me that always inspired me with empathy is he would say, I didn't get into this overnight and I'm probably not going to get out of this overnight. Meaning I have to be in this. My recovery is something I'm in for the long haul, right? Now, the mercy of God is such that maybe if he strived for it, he could get out of it overnight without relapsing time and time again. But what he was saying was that every day that I commit myself to health, I commit myself to sobriety, I realized I might not be able to fulfill my commitment, but I commit myself to sobriety one day at a time, one day at a time, right? I can't speak for what's going to happen two months from now, two years from now. I'm just speaking for today. I'm committed to living a good, clean life today. And that's enough. Right? I love the 12-step model one day at a time, just one day. You know, man, they were talking to the drummer, Joe Walsh. And they asked him, how long, how long have you been sober? He said, like, 28 years. He said, but more importantly, I haven't had a drink today. I said, this is somebody that understands. Who cares if I was sober for 28 years? I could go out right now and have a drink, and it'd be over. Right? I've been sober for 28 years, but more importantly, I haven't had a drink today. I'm just living my life one day at a time, one day at a time. This is how you have to make Toba. Just make Toba. When you promise never to go back to that sin, I'm promising for right now. I don't know what's going to happen next week, but that's not my concern. I might not even see next week. Right? Somebody once asked Sheikh uh, Sha'arawi, the great Egyptian scholar, he said, help me understand something. If our lives are temporal, right? We're, we're, we're mortals. We live and we die. Why should we get an eternal reward or an eternal punishment for what we do with, you know, a temporal life? Why shouldn't we get 100 years of paradise for 100 years of obedience or, you know, uh, 10 years of punishment for 10 years of disobedience? And Sheikh Hashad always said, it's about your intention. See, the intention is eternal. He said, the believer, she intends to obey God forever. This is why she's being given paradise forever. You see, it's about your intent. It's not about your life. Your life was maybe 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, but your intention is eternal. I intended to obey God. If God would have given me a thousand years, I would choose his obedience every day of those 1,000 years. If God gave me an eternity, I would choose his obedience for that eternity. This is why you're given an eternal paradise. So make your intention an intention of good. If you don't execute, it's okay. Repent again, right? Again, again, you know, Rumi, he said, our caravan is not a caravan of despair, right? Ibn Ta'ilah, he said, shoot for the bullseye. And if you don't hit the bullseye, keep shooting. 
right? And and not like, see, we are not maybe maybe only Yusuf, but I don't know. Maybe we're not. Maybe only Will. We're not marksmen. Right? We're not marksmen. A lot of us are not marksmen. But if you go and you shoot for your target and you don't hit your target, the next shot you take, are you now not even trying to hit the target? No, you're still shooting for the target. You don't say, okay, you know what? I haven't hit the target all night. Now I'm not even shooting for the target. I don't even care anymore. I'm, I'm still trying to hit the target. Right? Ibn another powerful analogy. He said, your repentance to God, the hope that you have in it, should be like someone who's ill who hopes for life. He said, man, I've observed many people in the throes of terminal illness. And all of them, to the final moment, they still hope for life, right? They still hope for life. Even someone who's sick, they hope to be well. They still hope for life. He said, even if your state is disobedient, you should still hope for obedience, right? Don't succumb to your weakness. Like, you know what? Forget it, man. I'm just this. Don't do that. You know what? Screw it, bro. I'm just... I'm a drug addict. That's what I am. This ain't gonna get no better. You know what? Screw it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm probably gonna be messing with this guy until it kills me. Whether he marries me or not, it just, I'm bitten. It's over. I'm bitten. Right? Now don't do that. Right? Intend to do the right thing. And then the last condition of repentance. Our religion, and this is one of the most beautiful things about our religion. While we affirm our singular relationship with God, people are still important, man. You cannot hurt people and just ask God to forgive you. It's not enough. The lines that connect you to the divine are vertical and horizontal. You have to worship God and be good to your neighbor. Worship God and be good to your sister. Worship God and be good to your brother. So when you do something wrong, if that wrongdoing involves hurting someone else, you have to go to them and clear that up. Hey, I'm sorry, man. Right? It is not enough to say, I'm too arrogant to tell this person I'm sorry, but at least I did ask God to forgive me. Right? And you have this dualistic when you see them, I'm, I'm not sorry for what I did. You deserved it. But then at home, God, forgive me. I should have never done that. Now you have to tell them, I, I, sh I should have never done that. I, I'm sorry. Really, I'm sorry. And I'm exhorting you. If you are someone that is in a position to grant someone your forgiveness when they request it earnestly, if you can, Right? I do realize forgiveness is a process, especially for major wrongdoing. People that have abused us, betrayed us, uh, taken advantage of us. Forgiveness is a process. And nobody should be um, coerced into forgiveness. But if you can grant them that forgiveness, you will feel better. It's not for them you will feel better. Trust me. And by forgiveness, we don't mean, yeah, I forgive you. Everything goes back to, to the way it was before you did what you did to me. That's not what I'm talking about. 
I may never invite you to my home if you steal as my guest. But I do not want God to punish you for what you've done to me. That's forgiveness. When you meet God, you won't have to worry about me saying, so-and-so did this to me. You won't have to worry about that because I've forgiven you. That's what we, I might not ever want to speak to you again. Like, bro, we don't have to have this relationship. But when you meet, I am not holding it in my heart that you will be requited for what you did to me. Right? What you did to me, you will be held accountable for it. God sees all. He will punish you for this. I've let that go. That's what we mean by forgiveness. I've let that go. Right? And it's a process. But you really want to get to a place where you can let that go. Right? Vengeance is the Lord's. One of God's names is Al-Muntaqim. Right? Vengeance is the Lord's. You don't have to be Muntaqim. Right? I, I let that go. I let that go, right? So those four conditions, feeling bad, stopping, promising never to do it again, and then repairing your relationships, repairing harm, that restorative component. I mean, I apologize, man, right? And it takes um, a big woman, a big man to apologize. You want to see a regular person, an everyday situation in which a regular person displays greatness, just see somebody apologizing. You're witnessing somebody great. This is a person that can apologize wholeheartedly. This is a person whose heart has been prepared. This is a great person. Because not everybody can do it. Some people, they can only apologize conditionally. You know, it's like, I'm sorry. Like, three seconds later, that the truth offends you. I'm sorry that you're such an oversensitive person. <laughs> I'm sorry that you can't take a joke. <laughs> I'm sorry that this is just a, a, a cultural misunderstanding. You must understand, babe, you're from North Carolina. I'm from Chicago. I didn't do anything wrong. It's just that people in Chicago are different. See, that, these aren't good apologies. I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry. You regarded my humor as crude, uncalled for what I said at the Tet Leaf dinner. I'm sorry. I should have never said it. That's it. That's it. It's hard to do. It's not, I'm sorry that you know, Chicago, everybody makes fun of their wife on stage. Everybody does that. It's, it's just regular. Maybe in North Carolina, people don't do that. Just chalk it up to our geographic differences. Don't think that I've actually done anything wrong. No, no, I'm sorry. It takes a lot to do that. I'm sorry. I'm, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm sorry. Right? So those four conditions. Thank you for tuning in. 
please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.